Welcome to the Triple Top Line podcast. This is the first podcast where you can learn how your business can create a positive impact on people, the planet, and profit. Here we bring the most brilliant minds from the startup and sustainability worlds to share their opinions and ideas around the topic. I'm Alex, co-founder at Catalyst Adventures, and I'll be here as the host on the show. So here we are. Tom, thanks very much for being here. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Tom from Earthbank. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's great to be with you. Super. So, so I guess the, the you know the first question that everyone will be thinking of if they haven't heard of Earthbank before is you know is Earthbank a bank? So please tell us. <laughs> great question. Uh, Earthbank is not a bank, uh, but we do finance uh, new carbon removal and reduction projects globally. Uh, and uh, for certain uh, eligible uh, buyers, uh, they, we can deliver financial return to buyers of these products in our platform or via our API, enabling any digital platform to make climate action profitable for their own business, but also their customers. So we like to say that EarthBank, uh, a bit tongue-in-cheek, is better than a bank because we help solve climate change profitably. Better than a bank. I like the, uh, I like the thinking already. That sounds, uh, that sounds, that sounds good. So, so let, let's dig into a little bit, um, a little bit more there. So, so saying that you know, solving climate change, you know, you're obviously on a on a part of the mission and on a journey to get to to net zero. You know, for for people listening, do they have to be investors to be involved in EarthBank? Um, what what's the what's the thinking there? Yeah, so EarthBank works with a variety of clients. Uh, a lot of our clients are medium to large size businesses that have made commitments to reduce their carbon footprint uh, through their own supply chains. But uh, many, uh, you know, it takes some time to achieve that. And so they uh, elect to purchase carbon credits or also known as carbon offsetting uh, to immediately reduce their impact on, on the climate. Uh, in a voluntary manner. Uh, now, this can be done just through purchasing carbon credits, uh, and that's uh, people don't have to be an investor for that. Uh, so that's the great thing. It's open to businesses and also even individuals. Uh, but a large part of what we do now is also we have an API where any digital platform can integrate carbon credits and offsets and also tree planting projects that are fully audited into their platform for all of their customers to take climate action. So. On the one hand, you know, where uh, customers can buy carbon offsets, and the other big thing they can do on our platform is also invest in carbon reduction projects to actively finance the projects. So the two things, you know, these are the two big features on our platform. People can buy carbon reduction and removals, or they can finance carbon removal and reductions. Super. So, so let's just break that down a little bit more and make sure it's super, super clear and concrete for, for people listening. So if I'm a you know, regular Joe and I just go on holiday to New York for, for, for the summer uh, and then I, I feel bad about my carbon emissions from my, from my flying, I can come to EarthBank and I can actually buy a carbon credit to offset the carbon that I've produced through my flight. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and you know, many businesses uh, now have policies to uh, offset their uh, flights uh, and travel uh, carbon emissions. Uh, so, you know, it's appropriate for the individual, but a, a lot of our customers tend to be businesses. Uh, so, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and, and talking about the, the growth of that business area um, of companies choosing to offset their carbon, 
how, how much bigger do you think that is going to get in the coming years? Yeah, there's an interesting uh, quote from uh, Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of England, who, who now is the chair of the uh, task force for scaling voluntary carbon markets. You know, he estimated that the, carbon, the voluntary carbon market, which we're active in, will grow to uh, a $100 billion market. Now, last year it was a $1 billion market. So that's, that's an estimated about 100-fold uh, increase in market size. Uh, and all of those carbon removals and reductions that are in the future, you know, uh, to achieve net zero, uh, most of them or all of them are going to need finance uh, and are going to need uh, monitoring, reporting and verification. And you're providing all of that as part of the whole process that, that EarthBank solves, right? Indeed. EarthBank is an end-to-end -end solution uh, for carbon project developers uh, who need finance and often they're NGOs and also uh, have pharma groups. Uh, and on the other hand, there's businesses that need to purchase their carbon reductions uh, ahead of time to make sure they meet their net zero target because there's a fair amount of uncertainty as to exactly when you're going to be able to completely eliminate uh, car uh, carbon emissions from your supply chains and your scope three emissions. So for, uh, for that reason, a lot of companies want to lock in uh, their carbon credit purchases now, you know, for the next 20, 30 years. Uh, and that means they often will need to invest in a carbon removal project, which is what we uh, enable uh, them to do. And we, we also do the auditing, uh, monitoring, reporting and, uh, is a big part of what we do uh, so that the projects themselves have a lot of data to back up the carbon reduction claims because that has been an issue in some carbon credit projects that uh, the climate claims have not always been accurate. And, and I guess a lot of people are, are sitting here thinking, you know, how does this all work? How can you be sure? So, so I'm sure you'll, you'll sort of take us through that, that part of the process as well. Um, I, think, I think the other thing that pops into my mind is from, from talking to people over the last couple of years around carbon offsets, is is this sort of initial skepticism that uh, surely this is just a syntax and Alex, you know, you, you you're feeling guilty and this is just a way of you know paying for your sins. Is is this is this how you see it or do you do you have a different view? <laughs> well, I, I do see it differently, and I, I think you know as as rational, you know, we can say you know, let's be rational about the problem of of climate change. You know, the world is warming up. Uh, it's getting close to one degrees uh, warming across the entire globe uh, since we started measuring uh, temperature uh, where, you know, unfortunately it looks like, you know, the earth is going to hit the 1.5 degree temperature rise uh, globally fairly quickly uh, due to just way too many uh, carbon emissions still uh, and still so much deforestation, still so much unsustainable farming. Uh, and, you know, as rational beings, you know, we can all decide to get together and find the best mechanism to reduce carbon emissions and uh, at the same time, you know, through our supply chains and where we can't do that immediately or the technology is not completely there or it hasn't been a cost effective option, you know, uh, purchasing a carbon offset is the next best thing. Uh, you know, th there's a lot of countries where they're still stuck on uh, coal grid energy, uh, you know, and so if your business is a manufacturing business 
and you're not in an area where it's easy to install solar panels and get year-round energy or have batteries, then, uh, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're stuck with that coal power. Uh, so what are you going to do with that? Are you going to just, you don't want to, obviously you don't want to shut your business because, uh, you know, so you need to find a way of reducing your carbon impact, even though your energy supply uh, isn't going to be decarbonized anytime soon. And so as, you know, this is a rational approach to say, okay, I will purchase a carbon reduction somewhere else or a carbon removal somewhere else on the planet uh, to make up for the, those emissions. And, you know, in, in places like Europe where you have, uh, you know, fairly forward-looking uh, policies uh, and ideas about this, you know, people are very willing to compensate for that carbon footprint, not because uh, it's feeling some sort of sin. It's more like this is a rational approach to us all globally cooperating to try and keep the temperature, you know, below the 1.5 degree threshold, because once you go over that, you start to approach the possibility and the real potential of runaway climate change, which has catastrophic consequences uh, for our economy, our way of life, our ability to even maintain, uh, or, you know, civilizations. So, uh, you know, I think it's being rational about it and making informed decisions. Uh, and so there's something called the Science-Based Targets Initiative that really tries to embed, you know, what is a rational and credible way to go about this. And they do say that uh, buying credible carbon offsets is a good option when you cannot immediately decarbonize your scope one, two, and three emissions from your operations. So uh, it's part of a balanced rational approach. I, I think the key word there that sticks out for me is transition. And, and as you said, you know, in an ideal world, you immediately jump to, to sort of, you know, zero carbon, but the reality is way more messy and complex than that. Uh, so as you said, this sort of, uh, you know, more more phased approach, uh, science-based approach is a, sounds like a, a good way to, to do it. And, and then and then the other part is you were talking about the voluntary uh, offset market. Um, and, and then, you know, do we compare that then to the regulated offset market or, you know, regulated or sort of rather government dictated changes to the way that we use carbon? So, so how much of this is going to come from the, the race to net zero is going to come from voluntary contributions, and how much is it going to be pushed by by regulatory forces? Yeah, so regulated carbon markets uh, have matured in the, the EU. Uh, you know, you've got uh, carbon markets, uh, regulated carbon markets, also in Canada, California, uh, Colombia. Uh, uh, and there's a there's many and China has some regulated markets as well, uh, and there's a, a num many countries have been designing and working with carbon targets and various incentives and policies uh, and funds, uh, and it looks like more and more countries are regulating, uh, and so where you've got regulated markets, usually the the prices of of you know compliance is is quite high. You know in the EU a, a carbon ton in the E-regulated e market can be as high as 80 euros or, or more uh, per tonne, uh, whereas in the voluntary carbon market, you know, the cost of, of purchasing a, a carbon reduction or removal credit can be, you know, uh, $10, uh, 10 euros. So there's a big difference in the costs. And so, you know, companies that are not covered by regulations, 
uh, you know, they're taking a rational approach and saying, well, you know, we think it's a good idea if we reduce our, our carbon impact, our climate impact, and we're going to participate in the voluntary carbon markets to do our bit as part of a global effort to reduce carbon emissions one way or another. Cool. And, and, and Tom, tell us then a little bit more about your background. So what was life like before you, before you started EarthBank? Yeah, I, for many years I uh, worked in uh, carbon credit project development and the finance industry and had a number of roles. I uh, have studied uh, environmental and social science uh, and part of that was uh, quite a bit of it was to do with conservation, land management and ecology. So I had quite a, a, a background in, in this area and I guess over, over my life I you know, had participated in a lot of uh, environmental projects, uh, seen where some of the challenges are. Um, you know, for example, I lived in Southeast Asia for a couple of years and I would get flown into remote Southeast Asian forest regions and, uh, you know, we would have our measuring tapes and our uh, surveying equipment and we'd start measuring trees. Uh, we'd get out measuring tapes, uh, we'd have uh, level eyesight uh, and small little laser devices and, you know, we'd start measuring these trees, we would interview villagers, uh, we'd understand their needs and their capabilities to protect and restore ecosystems uh, in regards to the feasibility of a carbon uh, reduction or removal credit project. And I saw a lot of gaps in the market uh, and, you know, for example, when you're out there and you're measuring an individual tree trunk girth and then measuring the height manually and you're doing that over vast areas, uh, of, of forest, you know, it's very uh, expensive, it's very manual, labor intensive, uh, and it's not always accurate either. Uh, and because you have to do a lot of extrapolation and interpolation of data. Um, and so there's quite a, a lot of errors in that old traditional system. And so to me, I thought there's got to be a better way of, of uh, measuring carbon in the landscape. And so that's really part of what motivated me to uh, found EarthBank along with my co-founders in 2019 to uh, develop satellite and remote sensing artificial intelligence models that can measure landscape uh, carbon in forests and in soils uh, and grasslands and croplands, uh, you know, up to 100 times cheaper and up to five times faster. And so that's really part of what motivated me to, to form EarthBank and then, of course, to help finance the projects that I'd uh, previously been involved with and uh, seen some of the difficulties in gaining finance. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful story, Tom. You know, there you are. You're really getting your hands dirty out, you know, measuring trees with a, uh, with a tape measure uh, and now using technology to solve this by using satellites uh, and AI machine learning and all, all the rest. I mean, this is a, a beautiful story. I mean, pretty much how startups should uh, should 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 work, right? I mean, you see these sort of real world problems, and then and then doing that. Did you have you always dreamt of being an of a, an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know from a, a young age uh, in our family, we were encouraged to you know take entrepreneurial sort of activities up, and you know that was just really good to have that sort of environment uh, to grow up in and. Uh, you know, my family, most of my family have been entrepreneurs themselves starting businesses and, uh, you know, it felt natural uh, to, to do that. Uh, and I, I guess I had worked in a number of uh, policy roles in, in governments in Australia, uh, in uh, state governments uh, and worked with the Australian Aid Agency as well. And so I'd 
having worked in government roles and seen, you know, some of the benefits, but also some of the limitations, you know, it really encouraged me as also to uh, strike out on uh, and, and start a business to, you know, really solve those gaps that uh, so governments uh, could not bridge the gap uh, and policies uh, weren't always there. Uh, and so, you know, I see that markets and, and uh, businesses have a huge role to play in solving some of the world's biggest problems. Uh, fantastic. And I think it's this beautiful combination of, of the policy background, the real experience, the raw experience, and then the technology side. I mean, would, I would even say that you're a serial entrepreneur, right? I mean, you've had, you've had another couple of startups before that. You've had some success. So, so you know, how, how high is the, the, the limit of the sky for, for EarthBank? What's the, the big vision there? Yeah, previously, you know, I've worked in some ag tech companies that I started up and some of them got acquired in, uh, in the process of a, a reverse sort of IPO merger in Australia. And, uh, you know, that was actually also, that was working with farmers and automating processes uh, as well. So, you know, my experience there and, and now at EarthBank, you know, I see that the carbon markets are just going to grow from that $1 billion to $100 billion mark. And we're, we're there to be part of that 100x exponential growth in, uh, in the market to solve a real world problem that, that has real uh, technology bottleneck issues uh, and also quality assurance issues. So, you know, we think the sky is the limit for EarthBank, but also more broadly, the climate tech sector, it's such an important uh, part of the economy now. Uh, and uh, we think the, the potential is just huge. And, you know, luckily our investors also are supporting that. And, and um, you know, thinking about our listeners now, I, I guess a lot of people are thinking, you know, give me some practical tips. Help help me, uh, you know, to, to be more sustainable. Help me to get to, to net zero. Um, and this is really something that I've been coming across recently, this, this sense of these either myths or, or, or sort of this, this real general confusion there is around sustainability. So, you know, people saying, you know, should I drive the car or do I take the train or do I, or do I ride the bike? Which, which, which way should I go? Or do I, you know, clean the yogurt pot using two liters of water just so that I can recycle it? And will it really be recycled if I put it in this, uh, in this pot? What would be sort of your more general, uh, you know, approaches to, to living sustainably? Uh, and, and, and how does, as how, how does uh, yeah, EarthBank figure into all of this? Yeah, these are questions that everyone faces as to, you know, how, how do I make my own life more sustainable? Uh, how do I contribute to a more sustainable world? And, and also, how do I prioritize uh, the different types of actions I, I could take uh, to, to minimize my impacts and, um, you know, produce as many positive externalities as possible? I think, uh, you know, recycling, you know, where you've got credible systems in place, uh, you know, certainly uh, can help. Uh, I personally uh, think that, uh, you know, reducing and, and reusing are, are much more important in terms of materials. Uh, and so, you know, moving to a more bio-based uh, materials is super important. Uh, and reusing, you know, uh, back in the day you used to, when you would buy uh, things from the supermarket, you'd get a glass bottle and you'd have to put a deposit on that in certain countries in Europe. Uh, and that's what helps subsidize the reuse of, of glass bottles, glass jars um, across the entire supply chain. And reusing them uh, time and time again, you know, reduces the energy impact hugely. But 
as you know, you do need enough water in those locations, so it's not suitable for uh, everywhere around the world where you've got water shortages. However, there are, you know, I guess water technologies on the horizon and renewable energy and storage that might make, uh, you know, creating fresh water a lot, lot cheaper. Uh, you know, within a, a sort of five to eight year time frame, you might that 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 equation may really change. Uh, so we may be able to move to a much more reuse economy. Uh, and, and, you know, when it comes to questions about what sort of decisions should I make about my own emissions impact, whether I should be, you know, driving a car, riding a bike, uh, what sort of plane transportation, uh, I think absolutely walking uh, and riding a bike and catching public transport are all the, you know, fantastic things to do because not only does it have a, a positive climate uh, impact, it's also got a positive health impact. Uh, you know, reducing uh, particle emissions from cars, you know, is a huge health factor in urban centres uh, and uh, broader sort of health, uh, public health outcomes. Uh, and then there's personal health outcomes for cycling and, and having a more active lifestyle. So there's lots of great reasons to take these actions that uh, go beyond uh, sort of climate action, which I think is just part of a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Uh, and that's what we certainly advocate. And where you've got uh, emissions in, in life, you know, we do think it's a responsible thing to do to uh, offset them because that means somewhere else in the world a carbon reduction or removal is happening. And often, and the projects that we specialise in, the, the nature-based solutions, carbon removals, they're short-term removals, usually 30-year timeframes, uh, after which time you can do another nature-based solution carbon removal project. Uh, we think these are so important for, you know, if you are going to take a plane uh, or you have a business, you know, to offset it. And the reason for that is, uh, you know, these nature-based solutions projects have fantastic positive impacts on the communities that participate. So, for example, in India, in the Sundarbans, uh, you know, you've got rising sea levels, hurricane during storm surges. So we're planting mangrove trees, restoring that mangrove forest uh, to provide green, like a green wall, essentially, to stop hurricanes driven storm surges from impacting their dwellings, their fields, their power infrastructure, their, their schools and hospitals. Uh, and so that's a massive social, economic, and ecological impacts you're creating and you're creating uh, fish spawning habitat. So just by the simple act of, you know, planting, you know, one mangrove tree uh, per year uh, would uh, offset over the life of a project would offset uh, someone in Europe's uh, footprint on average. And, but the positive externalities you're creating with that are just absolutely massive and, and tenfold uh, return in all the types of capital, you know, natural, social, intellectual capital that you're helping uh, improve and increase in the places where those climate action projects are happening. And so, you know, we think that that's also part of why you choose to do nature-based solutions carbon offsetting is because you know you're having such a positive impact in those communities for the emissions that you can't reduce, say, if you have to take a flight, uh, you know, drive a non-electric car and so on. I mean, Tom, you, you're touching on so many interesting topics here, and, and I think the one that the, the one thing that really stands out from all of that is is this sense of of triple top line. So, you know, having having a positive impact on the environment, planet, having a positive impact on communities, the the people, uh, you know, and and you know, being a uh, a revenue generating a profit, ultimately a profit seeking enterprise, and not not just a charity for doing this. Uh, is is really sort of textbook stuff on the on the triple top line front. So I think this is really really wonderful to hear. That so thank you for 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 sharing that.
And and if um, and if we talk a little bit more about you know a climate tech startup like EarthBank, there are probably quite a few people who are out there who are thinking you know I would like to make a difference. I would like to to create a climate tech startup, um, and and I've got some ideas on on, on how to do that. I mean, what would you say as either tips and tricks for advice for them or, or, or sort of some of the challenges that they're facing when, when going into this area? Absolutely. Yeah, we need a lot more climate tech companies out there solving real problems. And I think that's, that's where it uh, is important to distinguish, you know, where is the real need in terms of an unsolved problem? And if one can find uh, a problem that is as yet unsolved, uh, in uh, uh, carbon emissions reductions and removals, uh, you know that's where there's a huge need. So, for example, you know if your uh, region has a particular sustainability problem, that you know if you've got a, a huge amount of coal power that your uh, country is drawing on, you know you could start to see well what are all the ways in which I could contribute to. A reduction of that and a switching and a transition of that to renewables and storage, uh, for example. Uh, also, there's energy saving, retrofitting of houses, of insulation, uh, you know, uh, retrofitting entire suburbs uh, to be more energy efficient. You know, particularly in light of what's going on at the moment, is just so important. And there's uh, there's a real lack of systemic solutions for. Uh, scaling up the retrofitting of the built environment, which can deliver huge carbon reductions, uh, but also increase uh, thermal comfort uh, and health outcomes. And so, you know, there's real problems like that that are really urgent, uh, that, you know, are ready right now for people to start a business, get active and, and make it happen. Uh, and so if you can solve a real world problem uh, and you can get started now, uh, you know, we encourage you just go for it, uh, and you know, do your market research. Find out where the real uh, problems are, where the real blockages are, uh, whether it's technical, regulatory, financial, uh, awareness, uh, you know, human capacity building. These are all the things to map out and to design your your climate tech startup to to really solve that problem. Wonderful words of wisdom there. I think you know, it, it's it's you're never going to go wrong if you're really starting from needs. And, uh, and and seeing what's what what are the challenges today and then and then going out and solving them I think that's you know the kind of thing that we're always saying to entrepreneurs and you know really focusing in on on, on that need so so uh, so thanks for thanks for sharing that as well and and then talking us through you know the sort of the last last year or so um, with Earth Bank you obviously raised money um, you've gone through the the whole investment rounds um, process and you know could you talk us through a little bit on on what that looked like please yeah so you know raising investments uh, it's always a bit of a journey uh you know and being able to communicate uh the key sort of value propositions uh, uh in an eloquent articulate way uh you know we did focus quite a bit on you know the triple top line uh you know values of uh, you know, it's good for the people, it's good for planets, and it's also profitable. And showing those different types of impacts that can be achieved. Uh, you know, investors want to know that this, this business can stand on its own and, and be uh, profitable uh, and, and grow. And, uh, you know, those metrics are important. But uh, equally, you know, people want to see what those impacts are uh, and, and that are social, uh, that are environmental, that are climate, uh, and really help define them. 
And so that's where it's good to do some research on on what are those metrics and, and being able to communicate them in an effective manner so that when an investor invests in a company, they're getting a holistic vision of all the different positive impacts you can achieve uh, as well as uh, be profitable. And so it makes you know the business, I guess, more attractive as a whole uh, because you know there is a strong preference uh, now that, that businesses do have a, a positive impact on the world and are just not profit-seeking enterprises. So I think you know, more and more uh, investors are looking for those extra dimensions in, that you see in the triple top line. So we did focus a lot on that and we found investors that were aligned with our vision and really wanted to support our growth as, as people um, and believed in us as founders. And, you know, that was important too, uh, to find the right types of investors who will support you because they understand who you are as founders and want to back your vision. I think, uh, you know, there's, uh, that's, that's important to find the right type of investor in, in our experience. Great, uh, you know, great, great insights. And, uh, and thanks for, thanks for sharing these parts as well. I think this is, uh, yeah, definitely everyone who, who I've seen, uh, you know, looking at earth bank has been, has been really impressed and, and maybe, you know, looking, looking forward into, you know, coming milestones in the next six months or year, what are the big, what are the big things that are coming up for earth bank? Yeah, so uh, EarthBank's got some really exciting products that we've uh, uh, released recently. So our our API, our sort of our application program interface, means that any digital platform of any kind, uh, whether they're a marketplace, whether they're a fintech, a bank, uh, e-commerce store, uh, they can integrate climate action into the platform using our API or our white label iframe. And so this is a huge product release for us that is really enabling anyone, literally anyone in their daily life to, to take climate action. Uh, and what we've done is make that climate action, there's the possibility that that action can be profitable in the long term. So as a carbon project develops over time and carbon reductions and removals are, are achieved, uh, then there are customers who are buying those outcomes. And uh, for that reason, the people who are supporting projects, whether it's planting trees, financing uh, a carbon reduction or removal project, they can actually benefit in that upside. And, you know, according to EY, uh, you know, they're pr predicting by 2035, you know, in the voluntary carbon market for one ton of carbon to be valued anywhere between $80 to uh, to 130 US dollars, which is just a huge increase from where it is right now, sort of around $10 uh, on the global markets, spot price for voluntary carbon markets, uh, nature-based solutions. So it, that sort of massive growth, uh, you know, people can be a part of that uh, and gain access to that upside by, you know, simply planting trees or uh, financing carbon removal projects with us. So. So that's super exciting that we're making it open to everyone. Um, and with our white label, uh, you know, it makes it even easier uh, for any digital platform uh, that wants to integrate climate action to empower their customers or take it clim climate action for their customers on their behalf automatically, which we think is a really principled, smart thing to do. So for example, someone has a, a fashion marketplace, we'd love to see them integrate our, uh, with our API and for each transaction, we'd love to see them plant a tree. 
Uh, and for that, you know, there's, um, as I mentioned, there's the possibility of participating not only in a climate positive outcome, but also there's a financial outcome uh, down, the, down the track for those platforms and those customers who have purchased that. So we think that's pretty revolutionary to atomize uh, profitability and climate action like that and fractionalize. And, you know, this is where we think it's going to be super exciting for a lot of digital platforms to start offering our products to their end users and, and do it automatically for them uh, to take climate action because it's just such an exciting prospect uh, that has never been done before to make individual climate action profitable. No one has cracked that code and, and at EarthBank we, we have and that's really what we're super excited about rolling out with you know whether they're carbon accounting platforms, ESG reporting platforms, whether they're uh, that we can synergize and, and provide audited carbon credits to, or if they're you know a commercial online marketplace, e-commerce, or even a bank, can really benefit from offering uh, these products to their users. Uh, so that's that's what we're super excited about over the next six to twelve months uh, as part of our growth roadmap, and we've already. Uh, got a number of high-profile integrations coming with carbon accounting reporting and ESG reporting platforms that uh, you know provide those services to very large institutions and corporations that have committed to net zero, and uh, you know so we really synergize with those platforms, uh, which is which is great. I mean, it sounds uh, tremendously exciting, and uh, yeah, I, I just I, I guess the question is. You know, by the by the time that this uh, podcast is published, uh, how many more will have signed up? And uh, you know, hopefully, it's just an avalanche after avalanche keeps uh, keeps coming from there. So, very very excited for you on on that side. And if we if we go back, uh, maybe just I think we didn't touch the the, the satellite data uh, and and the work you're doing with satellites. But but maybe again, just to put that into context uh, and just talk us through in, in very brief terms, you know, how how does that work and uh, and what does that give you? Yeah, so EarthBank, uh, we partnered with the European Space Agency to uh, develop some uh, patent pending uh, auditing, uh, monitoring, reporting and verification technology for carbon in the landscape. Uh, and there was a real lack of uh, that technology that used satellite imagery, remote sensing data uh, and to running it through AI and machine learning models to get a much more accurate uh, measurement of the carbon in trees, crops, soil, grasslands. Uh, it just didn't exist at that time when we s started in 2019. And so, you know, there's been lots of attempts, but there was nothing really very accurate. Uh, and there was, there really wasn't a technology that would bring all of the data together from various sources uh, and also enable uh, the payment uh, for those services to, you know, uh, lots of different actors that can participate in uh, the auditing, measurement, uh, and verification. So we developed that technology. It's, it's, it's now patent pending technology. And, uh, you know, what we've done is uh, enable the reduction of, of costs by up to 100 fold for monitoring, reporting, and verification. And, uh, you know, the speed with which a project can be audited or monitored uh, can, yeah, it increases five fold. So instead of uh, requiring someone to fly out to a remote forest and get the measuring tape out, which that is still the way uh, most of the voluntary carbon market is working with reforestation and uh, forest protection projects. So they're still using measuring tapes, uh, still got very labor intensive uh, and expensive uh, methods being used. 
what we do is we cut through that cost and reduce the cost exponentially by using satellite uh, and AI technologies in combination. Uh, so, you know, that's really a big part of what we're doing is we're reducing the costs uh, of credible carbon uh, measurement in landscapes. So that's, that's a big part of why we developed that technology. Furthermore, you know, another reason we developed it is that, you know, carbon credits are often verified every five years in the voluntary carbon markets. Now, in five years time frame, you know, a forest in the Amazon or a remote region, you know, anything can happen in five years. A forest can burn down, can be cut down, can be illegally logged, and oftentimes you wouldn't know it. But in the past, people could still buy and sell that carbon credit without knowing uh, the actual status of the carbon on the ground. So we decided to help solve that problem by doing uh, annual audits uh, to provide real data to back a climate claim to say, is the forest still standing there? Has a fire occurred? Uh, and so with that technology, we can help uh, reduce or even eliminate greenwash uh, is, is, is our hope that we can help organizations navigate that, that difficulty that, you know, which carbon offsets should they buy uh, or should they offer their customers? And, you know, of course, in Europe, we've got the regulations like the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, uh, which means, and it has an anti-greenwash clause in there. Uh, and so it's really important that the climate claims of a uh, climate action are, are reputable and credible. Uh, and so we use ISO, so International Standards Organization uh, processes that guide our auditing processes to make sure they're world's best practice, uh, in addition to everything else we're doing with the, the technology to make it more accurate and training the machine learning models to, you know, every year we gather more data and we run it through the train the model, it gets more and more accurate, up to 99.99% accuracy in some cases. So, so that's really the purpose and why we developed it to solve, you know, the cost and time issue, but also the credibility issue. Uh, so that people have up to date information when they're buying a carbon credit that they're, they're not contributing uh, to a greenwash outcome where the, the, the carbon may have uh, leaked to the atmosphere. And that's what the, the, sol the problem we helped solve. I think, uh, you know, avoiding the greenwashing, but also this, yeah, this quality assurance. So many people sort of, they, they, they feel sort of skeptical around around tree planting or offset. And, you know, this certainty of knowing it's really happened. So I think this this use of the technology that, uh, that, that you have and an ability to, to match it with your business is, is a great way to, uh, to put those two fears to, uh, to, to bed there. And, and then, uh, you know, Thomas, we sort of come towards the end of, uh, end of time. Uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a fascinating insight into, into your world with, with EarthBank and the, and the team, your co-founders. Uh, it's been, it's been great to hear about, you know, EarthBank not being a bank, but being a real FinTech enabler uh, that's able to support a huge range of other businesses um, to, to really get us on the, on track towards that, that goal of net zero. And this is a, an ambitious one. Um, you know, it's been great to hear also around the, the voluntary versus regulated carbon markets, uh, you know, your own journey of going through that, yeah, the fundraising process, tips and tricks, challenges that, uh, that, that, that these climate tech startups are facing these, these days, uh, and also your thoughts on the, on the future of the business and where, where, where it's all going, and how big the opportunity really is. Uh, in, in, in carbon markets uh, and how you're you know, very nicely placed with EarthBank to you know, really take advantage of, of, of the opportunities there and, and, and have this phenomenal 
you know, triple top line impact of people, planet and profit um, in, in some of these these examples you've outlaid. So so really, really, uh, you know, warm, warm thank you for uh, for being with us today and, and sharing these thoughts. And then and then my final question is going to be around a, a book, a book to recommend for, for our audience. You know, what would you what would you wish for other people to receive uh, that's that's had an impact on you? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me on on the call, uh, Alex, uh, on this podcast. It's it's a really awesome one. I've listened to some of the previous ones, and always enjoy the content. And uh, I just wanted to say a quick shout out before I recommend the book uh, to say that you know I really enjoyed the uh, Rocket Impact Accelerator program that we went through with uh, uh, Swedbank. That was just an amazing experience. That was a big part of our journey to get us where we are today. So we're very thankful for that opportunity. Thank you. Um, so big thanks. And, I, you know, you're uh, very familiar with Rocket Impact Accelerator and, you know, we're big fans of what they're doing and want to collaborate more into the future. So um, just a big shout out there. Uh, and getting on to the book. Uh, so, you know, one of my favorite books is a book called Drawdown. And it's the top 100 solutions to solve climate change. And in there are, you know, 100 of the best opportunities that we have to uh, reduce carbon emissions, uh, but also to draw down the carbon, because this is the big thing that for many, many years, people have been focused on, you know, um, avoidance. Um, you know, let's avoid uh, making the emissions in the first place, which is obviously incredibly important. But sometimes it came at the expense of saying, we actually need to draw down all of the carbon that is up in the atmosphere. We need to bring that down. And so I think drawdown from that perspective, you know, is a, a solution about how to draw down that carbon and store it in uh, ecosystems, trees, soils, and also other really even kelp, uh, ocean, blue carbon systems, uh, regenerative agriculture. So much inspiring to read in there. So I highly recommend uh, the book Drawdown. Bang, it's on my uh, on my reading list. So uh, so thanks thanks for that one, Tom, to, to wrap us up. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Alex. Just a, a real pleasure. Super, super. So Tom, wishing you and the Earthbank team the, the very best of luck. You know, we're, we're fully behind you. We believe in you and we really hope to, to see some more magic happening in the future. All the best. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you. Love the podcast. Thanks. The future is triple top line.